0: To save his family. He had to. so alright bird, I thought about it and I thought about it, and that's what I'm going to do.
1: I value our friendship much more than money.
2: But one time, somehow, some way, a piece fell off and floated in the ocean over to the island of Lukonwar. We love stories!
3: It's time for the apple seed filled with stories for you and your family and when we say stories we're not talking about the news we're talking about folk tales and fairy tales and personal and family tales the kinds of stories that have been warming hearts and lifting spirits and giving flight to imagination for generations and generations and generations. And we've got stories old and new for you today. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's always such a pleasure for me to be with you. We're going to bring you a story called King Midas and the Golden Touch. And you're going to hear a story called The Magic Garden of the Poor. We'll talk uh, with Andy Offutt-Irwin, the wonderful Georgia storyteller, about a kind of wonderful gift given to him and to his son in our conversation with friend today. That's all coming up. But first, kind of a general introduction to the stories it will bring you today. You know, nobody's perfect. We know that. In fact, stories that we hear are some of the ways in which we sort of learn and internalize the notion that nobody's perfect. It's certainly true of a lot of our favorite storytelling characters. If those characters didn't make mistakes, well, we wouldn't have those stories to learn from now, would we? In today's stories, we'll get to see characters navigate their flaws as they seek to accomplish their goals. And in the first story we've got for you today, there is a character with quite a flaw indeed. It's the king, King Midas, who loves gold so much that he makes a wish. He makes a wish that everything that he touches might turn to gold. Well, that can be a two-edged sword, as you can imagine. There are two sides of that coin, and it brings probably some good into his life, and probably some bad, too. You may have heard the story, but you've probably not heard it told like Big Joe Pagliuca tells it. We're happy to bring this to you as the first story in this hour of stories from the Appleseed. Here's King Midas and the Golden Touch, told for you by Big Joe Pagliuca on the Appleseed.
0: This is the story of King Midas and the Golden Touch. And for this story, we're going to need some kingly music. I said kingly music. No, no. Perhaps you didn't hear me. I said kingly music. Ah, that's better. And now, the story of King Midas and the Golden Touch. Once upon a time, there was a king named Midas. And King Midas loved one thing and one thing only, and that was gold. Oh boy, did he love gold. He had gold wherever he could find it. He had a gold crown on his head, gold bracelet around his wrist, gold chain around his neck, gold cubes, gold bars, gold coins, gold money, gold, 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 and, well, more gold. But the problem with old King Midas, no matter how much gold he got, All he wanted was more gold. And when he got more gold, all he wanted was more gold. And when he got more gold, you know what he wanted? That's right, more gold. Well, one day he was sitting in his garden complaining. He said, man, look at this kingdom. There's not a lot of gold around here. He said, look at that rock. That rock should be gold. Look at that tree. That tree should be gold. Look at that skunk. Oh, well, all right, not the skunk, but everything else should be gold. Well, he was sitting there complaining when all of a sudden he heard a strange noise from the other side of the hill. Help! 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 And he went to look, and there on the other side of the hill was a strange-looking bird. And he looked down, and he said, oh, you poor bird, I'll help you. And he got down on his hands and knees, and he freed the bird from the thorns. And the bird said, thank you, king, you saved my life. And because you did that, I'm going to do something for you because I am a magic bird. King Midas said, whoa, a magic bird? He said, yep, and I'll give you anything you want. What do you want, king? Well, the king said, hey, there's only one thing I want. I want gold. You want to be old? No, 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 look, look. I I want gold. You think ice is cold? No, look, I want gold. You want my hand to hold? No, I want gold. You want laundry to fold? Look, 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 look. I want gold. You want to eat mold? That's pretty disgusting. No, look, look, you strange bird. I want gold. Oh, why don't you say something? I could give you something. I could give you the golden touch. And the king said, what's the golden touch? He said, well, the golden touch is pretty cool. Everything you touch will turn into gold. Ooh, pretty. And King Midas said, yeah, 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 I want that. Give me that. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Yeah, that, that'll be great. Give me. And the bird thought about it I said, well, no, 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 no. Now that I think about it, no, I I, I don't want to give it to you. Said, what? Why not? I said, well, everybody you give that to gets into trouble. I don't want you to get into trouble. And King Midas said, no, no, no. I won't get in trouble. I won't get in trouble. I'll, I'll be good. You'll eat some wood. No, look, look. I said, I'll be good. You want to wear a hood? No. Look, I'll be good. Monkeys are made out of wood. No, wait, they're not made out of wood, are they? No, look. I said, I'll be good. Oh, all right then. And the bird touched the king's hand and disappeared. Well, the king sat there and he said, Yeah, right, golden touch, golden touch. There's no such thing as a golden touch. Whatever. And he went, he leaned his hand on a rock. And when he did, all of a sudden, the rock turned into solid gold. Whoa, look at that. He touched the plant. (gasps) And the plant turned into gold. He touched the tree. Whoa. And the tree turned into gold. He said, wow, that bird was right. I have it, I have it, I have it, I have it. I have the golden touches, it's great. And he ran around his palace touching everything he could find. He touched a lamp, and the lamp turned into gold. He touched a chair, and the chair turned into gold. He touched the window, the window turned into gold. Everything he was touching was turning into gold. And he ran around his kingdom touching everything. La 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 la. Gold. La la gold, 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 gold. Let me think here. Gold. Ha ha ha. He was turning everything into gold. In fact, he was having so much fun he decided to share his wealth with his people. So I had his people bring him things and he changed into gold for them. They brought him a wagon, turned the wagon into gold. Brought him a chair, turned the chair into gold. Brought him boots, turned the boots into gold. Brought him a stinky diaper, and he turned the stinky diaper into gold. Yes, stinky gold. Oh, boy. Well, the king was having a wonderful day. So fun, in fact, he decided to have his royal dinner early that day. And so he called for his royal dinner, and they brought it to him. They brought him lovely chicken, delicious grapes, and fine wine. Mm -hmm. Now, this was before the days of spoons and forks and knives, so to eat with your hands which is a pretty good time to be a kid, let me tell you. And the king went to eat his dinner, and he picked up the piece of chicken, but the piece of chicken turned into gold, and he went to bite it. Ow! That was my tooth, man. Ow! That really hurt. He said, that's okay, I'll just have the grapes. Picked up the grapes, but the grapes turned into gold, and he went to bite them. Ow! That was my tongue, man. Ow! That really hurt. I think I broke my tongue. I don't know if he could break his tongue, but I think I broke my tongue. Ow. He said, that's okay. I'll just have the wine. He picked up the glass, but the glass and the wine turned into gold. And he went to drink and he bumped himself right in the nose. Ow. That was my nose, man. Ow. That really hurt. And the king thought to himself, he said, what am I going to do? If I can't eat and I can't drink, what am I going to do? How am I going to live? I'll be the richest king in the world, but I won't be around to enjoy it. When in came the princess, and she was a very pretty girl with lovely long blonde hair. And she came and she said, Daddy, what's wrong? He said, Oh, nothing. I'm okay. I'm okay. She said, Daddy, what's wrong? You look sad. He said, Daughter, I'm okay. I'm okay. She said, Oh, Daddy, let me give you a hug. And she went to give the king a hug, but the king put up his hands to stop her, and she touched his hands, and she turned into gold. And the king yelled, Oh no, what have I done? What have I done? Well, the queen came rushing in from the next room. She heard the sound, and when she got there, she saw all the gold, and she saw the princess, and she said, Husband, what's wrong? He said, Oh, it's horrible, it's horrible. And she went to give the king a hug, but the king put up his hands to stop her, and she touched his hands, and she turned into gold and the king was so sad he was so sad he started to cry <laughs> and his tears rolled down his cheeks and his very tears turned into gold well all of a sudden the king heard a pop and a whistle and out came the bird hello hey like what you did with the place very shiny Ooh, looks wonderful he looked at the king and he said hey king what's wrong and the king said, oh, bird, oh, bird, it's horrible, it's horrible, I, I got into trouble. You ate a bubble? No, look, 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 I got into trouble. You think I'm your double? No, look, I got into trouble. You want to kiss Barney Rubble? That's an old joke, isn't it? He said, no, look, I got into trouble. He said, oh, yeah, look at that, you really did. It's so, all right, all right, tell you what I do, tell you what I do. I'll take the golden touch off you, but you have to do something for me. You have to touch everything you touched before and change it back from gold. And then and only then can you change back the princess and the queen. Now, the king had a choice to make. Did he get rid of all the gold? Well, he thought about it and he thought about it and he realized he had to. If he wanted to save his family, he had to. So he said, all right, bird, I've thought about it and I thought about it. And that's what I'm going to do. You want to eat some stew? No, look, bird, that's what I'm going to do. You want to live in the zoo? No. Look, that's what I'm going to do. You watch Blue's Clues? Hey. He does. He watches Blue's Clues. And he picks his nose. Stop that, you silly bird. Look, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, gotcha. All right. And he touched the king's hand and he disappeared. And when he did, the king went around the kingdom touching everything he touched before. He touched the lamp and the table and the chair and the bed and the tree and the door and the window and the rock and the food and the stinky diaper. Ew. And finally he touched the princess, and he touched the queen, and he changed them back from gold. And on that day the king learned something, that it wasn't gold that he loved most of all, it was his family. And from that day on the king never wanted for anything else, and
3: because of that he lived happily ever after. Big Joe Pagliuca with a story called King Midas and the Golden Touch. Coming up in just a moment, you're going to hear an entry in the Radio Family Journal about crawling around in the tall weeds in the back of my childhood backyard. And you'll also hear a conversation with Andy Offutt-Irwin that you'll enjoy about kind of a special gift that came into the life of him and of his son, Liam. You'll also hear from the Tintagel storyteller, Jill Lamed, a story called The Magic Garden of the Poor, and more. You won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back
2: to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
3: It's such a pleasure for me to be with you during this hour of the Appleseed, bringing you stories old and new. And if you're just joining us a moment ago, we heard a version of the old story, King Midas and the Golden Touch, a version of that story told for you by Big Joe Pagliuca, a story in which the king learns that his family is more important to him than the gold that he loves so much. That's a good lesson to learn. And again, people have been learning that lesson from that story for generations and generations and generations. That an ancient Tale. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear from the Tintagel storyteller Jill Lamed in just a few minutes. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes bring a thought to your heart, to your mind that you can share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. Here's a memory of mine. It's a memory about crawling around in the tall weeds of the back of my childhood backyard. It's today's entry. In the Radio Family Journal.
2: The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the
1: Appleseed.
3: If you go back today to the neighborhood where I grew up, you will still see the house where I lived, a little white stucco house built in the 19th century. Around it, you'll see newer, bigger homes, a neighborhood packed with homes and yards and gardens. When I was a kid, it was just fields, fields of waist-high grass. And we'd stomp that grass down in labyrinthine paths, crushing the grass until we had built roadways and clearings, towns and cities in the grass. And then we'd get down on our bellies and crawl along those paths— certain that our parents couldn't see us. There might be 10 or 12 of us neighborhood kids working our way on our bellies through the grass, and no one looking out of the field from the yard would see anything but that endless, waist-high grass in the field. Sometimes we'd grab a handful of grass from the left-hand side of the path and a handful of grass from the right-hand side of the path and bend them over the path until they touched and tie them together with a long grass stem and we'd have a bridge to go under. As long as we stayed on our bellies, We were the secret rulers of the field. And I remember one day, crawling through the grass, I was maybe eight, and my brother, nearly two years younger, was behind me, crawling along in my wake. And he said something, and I turned around to answer him, and when I looked back at the path before me, my heart froze in my throat, moving slowly across the path was a big brown snake. Its head had already disappeared into the grass on the right side of the path. Slowly its long body moved right before my eyes from left to right, silent as nighttime. I held my breath, and after an impossibly long time, I watched the thin end of its tail move across the path and disappear into the tall grass of the field, and then I breathed again. I want to go back to the yard, I said. Why, said my brother, we'd have to go backward. Well, go backward then, I said. And he did. We both did. Backed as quickly as we could down the path toward the yard. It seemed to take a long time, but eventually the waist-high grass gave way to the mowed green of the yard. and We stood up. I looked out at the field. Part of my brain said surely it wasn't any different a field than it had been all afternoon or even all summer. But it was too late. Every other part of my brain said that the field was full of snakes, that just out of sight, just as we lay out of sight of our parents when they looked on from the lawn. Snakes were gliding through the tall grass, black snakes and green snakes and brown snakes, striped snakes and mottled snakes and snakes with diamond patterns and red and yellow and black snakes. I began to feel a little sick. My brother and I didn't stay away from the field forever, it should be said. Not even a field full of snakes was a match for the summer boredom that drove us beyond the borders of our yard but it might have been the last time we crawled through the grass on our bellies. After that, I must say, we marched along on our feet, sweeping the grass in front of us from left to right and back again with sturdy sticks. I mean, a field full of snakes. What were we, crazy?
2: The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed.
3: Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. We always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. And if that happens for you, send them to us as well. You can write them down and uh, send us an email at BYU.edu. Again, that's theappleseed at byu.edu. We love to hear from you. Lots coming up. You're going to hear from Jill Lamed with a story called The Magic Garden of the Poor. You won't want to miss it. But first, how about a conversation conversation with a friend Great stories come into our lives in so many ways through the films that we see the books that we treasure the meals that we share, the songs that we remember, and of course, from the tales that we tell, from teller to listener, sometimes over generations and generations, and talking about some of the ways in which those stories get down into us and the shape that they take once they're there is something that we love to do with friends here on the Appleseed. And I can't tell you how delighted I am to be actually right here in the Appleseed studio with Andy Offutt-Irwin, longtime friend of the show. Andy, it's great to have you with me.
4: I am delighted to be here. Sam. Thank you for having me. Man. You know,
3: we've often talked across the miles and here we are just across the desk. I mean... <laughs> so,
4: well, come on, there's a glass between <laughs> us because right. I'm in the kid's room, but yeah.
3: <laughs> right. You know, there are, uh, you know, there are all kinds of ways to get into, uh, memory. You know, um, y- 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 you think about a, you think about a car that, Someone you love, loved and some suddenly you're with that someone you love you know right um, Let's talk about a way to get into a memory. you've got something in your you've got something in your head.
4: Well, I do and um, somebody mentioned to me um, just this week uh, she was talking about she was given a very valuable stuffed uh, a doll, a doll that was collectible and yeah. she played with it and the person who gave her the doll was a little upset and it reminded me of a lady Elaine. Many, many, many years ago, I did a—it sounds braggy, but it was no big deal, really. But I was the uh, keynote performer for the Library of Congress Verburnum Foundation. And I happened to meet the president of Family Communications, which is Mr. Rogers' company. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I cannot remember the fellow's name. And I uh, told him that at the time, my son was three. Yeah. And I said, we are big Mr. Rogers fans at our house. And that's not an original thing. We all love Mr. Rogers. Sure. He's just an adorable man. And I said, but uh, my one of my favorite episodes is where it, at King Friday's Kingdom in the land of make-believe, they were going to have a pool. I would have a pool. So the engineers <laughs> came in. And then there's... There's Lady Elaine, and Lady Elaine's kind of cranky, and here comes Lady Eberlin, and Lady Eberlin was sort of like Margaret Dumont from the Marx Brothers. She always seemed a little clueless. Now, I don't know if she was actually clueless, but that was her gig, and— and. She did you the,
3: did you have a crush on Lady Aberlin? I'm just oh telling yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> who didn't have, who didn't have a right. weird little kid crush? on Yeah, Lady Aberlin.
4: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, if you don't know who she is, she was the live action real human being That's talking right. to talking to the to the the creatures, the puppets of. Yeah. And Mister Rogers did all the voices. He was all of the puppets. And they're digging a pool, and Lady Evelyn says, oh, they're digging the pool, and they're going to fill fill it up with water? And Lady Elaine says, you can't just dig a pool and fill it up with water, toots. (laughs) And I adored that because it's Mr. Rogers' voice, and he's got a cranky thing going on, which he never shows us. And I said to this fellow uh, that I was at the desk with, I said, that's one of my favorite scenes. And by the way, my mama's name was Toots. And he laughed real hard. I said, so Mr. Rogers probably has a cranky side that he lets Lady Elaine. And he said, give me your card. And, you know, I'm a small-time showman, so I gave him a card. Two weeks later, in the mail, there's a box from Pittsburgh, Family Communications, about the size of a shoebox. And my son was with me when I was opening the mail. He said, oh, I said, look at this. It's something from Pittsburgh. Opened it up. It was an Elaine, a Lady Elaine puppet. Oh, wow. To Liam. From Lady Elaine and Mr. Rogers. Oh, wow. He had signed it and he was, and Liam was three. So he grabbed it and started playing with it. Yeah. And I had a hush puppy puppet made just the same way. It was the hard, rubbery kind of head. Yeah. And the felt, right? <laughs> kind of the felt, cheap, <laughs> cheap felt material. And he started, so what am I going to do? You may not play with that toy, young man. Yeah. And yeah. so now, Lady Elaine, when you walk into Liam's um, tool shed, which is attached to his shop, it's in my backyard. There are two cars in it. When his his treehouse came down, the shop went up. Yeah. We didn't pull a permit, but it serves the same purpose, so nobody cares. And <laughs> and I know that there are stereotypes about people from Georgia thinking that my son has three or four cars in the yard on blocks. Yeah, yeah. They're not on blocks. They're on jack stands. <laughs> and looking down at you, very creepy, because you know, Lady Elaine, you know, yeah, when yeah. she's not moving, she's creepy. Looking down at you through the door is Lady Elaine's head. Wow. And um you know that's
3: even now even now oh yeah even, even now. now even now
4: yeah, <laughs> yeah i got to get a picture of it but yeah even now
3: <laughs> you've introduced us to Liam just a little bit uh, Liam is a, kind of an interesting combination of guys you know he he he's kind of a i, I think so i mean yeah. I, i'll brag on a
4: kid yeah uh, yeah but yeah he he uh he builds cars literally builds cars yep. and he's rented and sold cars for the hollywood types yeah and uh has had a job to recondition uh, 1970s Mercedes coupes for yeah. this old fellow that collects them. and he, I mean, he does the headliner, he cleans the engine, he, he cleans them, he gets them running well. Yep. So he does that. Um, he's a philosophy major at the University of Georgia. Yeah. Um, he doesn't know what he wants to do yet.
3: Yeah. But, but you know, you've got the you've you've got the guy who who, who builds cars, mm-hmm. you've got the guy who's the philosophy major, and you've got the guy who's the musical theater star. Yes, yeah. the oh center yeah, center. yeah. He yeah. was
4: he played Bert and Mary Poppins. He yeah. had to learn to fly. Yeah. You know, you know, and, and we say hitting your mark, he had to do a triple backwards flip and go, step in time. You know, yeah. had to hit his mark and, you know, that's right. 30 feet in the air. So that yeah. was kind of interesting. And he, is a, he was a theater tech and design major. Yeah. But then he got a gig with the Peachtree Opera yeah. as lighting director in the summer of 2019. And that's when he changed majors. He said, yeah, I can learn, you know, theater tech on the streets.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, and he walks into that shop and there is the there is the Lady Elaine Fairchild. Puppet looking down at him. That's right. Well, wh- what a what a treasure. I mean, not just not just the artifact, right? But right. the story behind the artifact and the 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 the, the feelings brought on. By the artifact for the man thinking of the when he was a child and 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 everything else, it's a it's a, a something like that can be a pretty powerful window into a lot of great stuff. Thanks for sharing with us, Andy.
4: Thanks for allowing me to. Thank you so much, Sam.
3: There's a lot more coming up on the Apple Seed. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Always such a pleasure to chat with Andy Offit-Irwin. We'll be sure to have him back. Stick around. Jill Lamed coming up with the magic garden of the poor on The Appleseed.
2: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
4: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam
3: Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you during this hour of The Appleseed. Up next, a story from Jill Lamed. And in this story, we'll follow what happens when two friends argue that the other should get the gold that was found on their shared land. In fact, they take the matter to the judge. And can a young scholar find a solution that pleases everyone. Join us for a story of friendship and compassion and magic in The Magic Garden of the Poor, told for you by Jill Lamed here on
1: The Appleseed. Once upon a time, there were two neighbors who were also the very best of friends. These two men each owned some land. One had rich fertile soil that would grow wheat and barley, and he was a farmer. The other had land that was poor and stony. Nothing would grow there but some scrubby grass fit for nothing but sheep, and so he was a shepherd. They lived happily for many years, earning just enough to live and enjoying their friendship. But a terrible disease ravaged the land, killing all of the shepherd's sheep. He went to his neighbour, saying, "'I've come to say goodbye, my friend. "'Now that my sheep are dead, "'I cannot stay here.' "'I'd starve. I must go to the city and take whatever work I can find.' "'Please don't go,' said the farmer. "'I'll give you half my land. We can farm together side by side.' "'I can't take half your land,' the shepherd replied. "'You've barely enough for yourself.' "'Of course you can take it,' insisted the farmer. "'So I might earn a little less each year, but it'll be worth it. "'I value our friendship much more than money.' The shepherd agreed. The farmer divided his land in two, and the friends farmed side by side. One day, as the shepherd was ploughing his field, he found a bag full of gold coins. He rushed to the farmer, saying, Look, my friend, fortune favours you. You are rich. I have found all this gold in your field. But the farmer shook his head. It's not my field. I gave it to you. The gold is yours. But you wouldn't have given me the field if you'd known there was gold in it. I can't keep it. It belongs to you. No, it doesn't. It's yours. It was their very first argument. They just couldn't agree. They went to the judge to ask him to decide. The judge had four students with him. When he had heard the neighbor's story, he turned to the first student and asked, "Well." What would your decision be? After a moment, the student said, The money was found in the ground. Neither of these two men want it. So it should be put back into the ground. The judge frowned and turned to the second student. And what would you decide? The second student said, The money was in the ground, but now it's here in the court. "'Whatever comes into the court belongs to the court, "'so the gold is yours, Judge. You should take it.' "'The judge glowered. "'He turned to the third student, asking, "'And what do you say should happen to the gold?' "'The third student said, "'The gold was in the ground. "'The ground is part of the kingdom. "'The kingdom belongs to the king, "'so the gold belongs to the king "'and should be taken to the palace at once.' The judge looked very angry indeed, as he turned to the fourth student, saying, "'And what bright ideas do you have?' The fourth student thought for a moment before saying, "'The gold is here, and neither man will accept it. Why don't we spend it in a way that will benefit everyone?' "'I know. Why don't we use the gold to create a garden for the poor?' a place where there will be streams and lakes of safe water for them to drink, fruit trees to give them food, beautiful flowers to lift their spirits, lawns for them to lie on, and great trees to give them shade from the sun. The judge smiled. I like that idea. And he turned to the two neighbours and asked them what they thought. They looked at each other and spoke as one. "'It's a wonderful idea. Do it!' "'The judge beckoned the fourth student forward, "'gave him the bag of gold, pulled out a large map, "'thought for a moment, and then drew a circle on it. "'There. That is where you will build your garden. "'This is your idea. "'Now you take the gold into the city "'and buy whatever seeds and tools you need.' Off went the student on the long, dusty walk into the city. As he went, he planned out just what the garden would look like, what plants he would grow, which fruit trees, how the streams would run. By the time he reached the city, he knew exactly what he wanted. The city was large, crowded, dusty and noisy. The student asked the way, and eventually found himself outside the seed merchants. He was just about to go in when he saw a long camel train winding down the main street. Things were hanging from the camel's backs. He couldn't make out what they were, and then he saw. They were birds, hundreds of birds, tied by strings around their legs and dangling head down from the camel's backs. As the camels walked, so the birds swung and banged against the camels' sides. They were all covered in dust, but some of them flapped their wings feebly. They were alive. The student rushed to the camel driver and forced him to stop. "'Where are you taking these birds?' he cried. "'These are going up to the palace,' the driver replied. "'They're for the king. He has a banquet tomorrow.' The king and his guests will eat these birds, and their feathers will decorate the banqueting hall. They may not look much now, covered in dust, but once they're cleaned up, you would see that these are the most beautiful and rarest birds in the world. Some are so rare, they're the last of their kind. The student was horrified. Let me buy them from you. You couldn't afford them. Only a king can afford to eat birds as rare as these. I have gold!' And the student thrust the bag of gold into the camel driver's hand. He felt the weight, and realized there was more gold here than the king would pay him. So, while he eagerly counted out the gold coins, the student started to untie the birds. Each one, as he set it free, shook its wings clean of dust before taking off and flying up into the sky, higher and higher. "'circling above the city round and round before flying away into the distance. "'As the dust fell away, the student could see their beautiful plumage, "'feathers of brilliant blues, reds, greens and golds. "'The air was alive with their flashing colours. "'But some of the birds were too ill or stunned to fly.' These the student carefully laid by the side of the road, until he had set all the birds free. Then he fetched some water, dripping a few drops into each parched beak. With a finger he gently massaged their tiny hearts, until each one slowly came back to life. One by one they stretched their wings shook off the dust and soared up into the sky to join their fellows before flying out and away from the city. When the last one had gone, the student turned to go into to the seed merchants. Only then did he realise what he had done. He had spent all the gold. He couldn't buy any seeds. There would be no garden for the poor. What would the judge say? "'Sadly he turned and walked back out of the city, "'onto the dusty road home, worrying as he walked. "'When he reached the area of land that the judge had chosen "'for the garden of the poor, the student sat on a rock and wept. "'What else could I have done?' he wailed. "'I had to save those birds. "'But now all the gold is gone, and there will be no garden for the poor.' "'There will be no crystal-clear water that is safe for them to drink, "'no fruit to nourish them, no flowers to lift their spirits, "'no grass to lie on, no trees to give shelter. "'What am I to do?' "'A small sparrow, sitting in a bush nearby, "'heard the students' cries and flew away. "'A short time later,' The student was roused from his weeping by the sound of thousands of wings beating high above his head. He looked up and saw the sky was a kaleidoscope of flashing colours as a vast flock of bright birds wheeled around and around. The birds all landed in front of him, and one large bird came forward, bowed to the student and said, "'You saved our lives. We cannot give you back your gold.' but we can create a garden for you. At that, all the birds started work, clearing the ground. The big birds got together to move the larger stones into a heap at one side, like a rockery. Smaller birds moved the pebbles to create paths. The middle-sized birds began digging to create ponds and stream beds. Then the large birds flew away across seas and mountains to gather the rarest and most precious seeds they could find. The tiny birds turned over the soil, grain by grain, to get it ready for those seeds. The pelicans flew high into the mountains to gather snow in their huge beaks. They carried the snow back and tipped it into the lakes and streams where it melted into crystal clear water. When the large birds returned with their beaks stuffed full of seeds, everything was ready. "'They dropped the seeds on the ground "'and the small birds carried each one "'to its proper place in the garden. "'When they were done, "'all the birds formed a huge circle "'around the edge of the garden. "'They stretched out their wings "'and slowly wafted them backwards and forwards, "'making a magic. "'Straight away the seeds started to sprout. "'The student could see them growing. "'As he watched, his eyes grew heavy "'and he fell asleep. "'When he awoke, The garden was finished. It was just as he had imagined. There were rolling lawns of soft green grass, lakes and streams of clean water, brilliantly coloured flowers everywhere, huge cedar trees offering shelter under their spreading branches, and apple trees laden with golden apples. Not the sort of gold that you just polish, no. When the student took a bite from one of these apples, It tasted like a great feast of all kinds of food. He felt as though he had just eaten the best meal of his life. Soon he could see a cluster of rich merchants galloping their horses towards him along the road from the city. Word had soon spread of this magic garden, and the merchants assumed that such a wonder must be intended for them. As they drew near, A wall of stone sprang up out of the ground, surrounding the garden completely, except for one gateway. The merchants rode towards it, but the great stone gates clanged shut in their faces and locked themselves with seven huge locks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The merchants were shut out. One... Seeing a single golden apple hanging from a branch above the wall kicked his horse forward until it was just under the branch. He climbed up and stood on the saddle, reaching up to pluck the apple. But as soon as he touched it, there was a flash of light and he found himself lying on his back in the middle of the road. Another merchant tried to climb over the wall, but as soon as he touched the stones, there was a clap of thunder and he too was lying in the road. The merchants could not get into the garden the next morning the poor people started to arrive they didn't have horses so they had to walk from the city as they approached the great stone gates unlocked themselves seven six five four three two one and swung open The people streamed into the garden and gasped in wonder at the beauty of the flowers, lakes, lawns and trees. They rushed down to the streams and drank their fill of the crystal, clear, icy, cold water. Then they relaxed on the lawns, eating the golden apples, the children playing under the trees, everyone feeling happy and safe for the first time. At last, the sun began to set. Those people who had homes to go to left the garden, but most of them had nowhere to go. They made themselves comfortable under the sheltering trees as the great gates clanged shut and locked its seven locks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. As darkness fell, the golden apples began to glow with a gentle light, and in the branches of the trees, birds sang a lullaby. And that is how the magic garden of the poor was created, as the result of the imagination, effort and compassion of one young man.
3: the Tintagel storyteller, with a tale called the Magic Garden of the Poor. And up next, we've got a story from Dan Kalin. Now, the story is from the Marshall Islands. And in this story, a father and a mother get a taste of the best breadfruit in the entire world when it floats to their island from the place where it grows. Now, that place is, rather unfortunately, guarded by a giant demon dog. Will one of their six sons be able to retrieve the breadfruit and... Bring it back. Here's Dan Kalen with Half Boy Breadfruit here on the Appleseed.
2: How many people in here can make the sound of a dog? Okay, good. But I need the sound of a really big dog. Okay, good. Now, in this story, it's a demon dog. So let's hear the sound of a demon dog.
1: Uh,
2: Yeah, good. All right. Now, every time I take a step, I'm going to ask you to make the sound of that dog so it'll be stoned and sound every time. You ready? Here we go. The sound of the demon dog. Ready? And. <laughs> Eto imetto. That's how this story starts. Eto because that's how they tell the stories in the Marshall Islands. Eto emeto, long and long time past. The best tasting breadfruit in the whole wide world was on the island of Jelliquan. And the demon dog guarded it, so nobody could taste it. But one time, somehow, some way, a piece fell off and floated in the ocean over to the island of Lukunwur, where they lived, a woman and her husband. And they got that piece of breadfruit, and they tasted it, oh, uh. <laughs> that was the best tasting they ever had. And all I could think about after that, all I could dream about was that breadfruit, oh, <laughs> How are we going to get more of this breadfruit? Well, they lived on that island with their six sons. And every day, this woman and her husband would wake up. Who can get us this breadfruit? Who, oh, please, please, who can bring us this breadfruit? And one day, their youngest son, he said, "Ooh, me, me, ooh, me, me, me. And the older brothers looked at him and said, "Now, shut up. You can't do anything. You can't bring this. You're worthless. You're nothing. You're just a half a boy. Because it's true. He was. He was only half a boy. He had only one leg. One arm, one shoulder. One eye, one ear. One nostril for all I know. He was just half a boy. Ooh, ooh, me, me, ooh. And those brothers said, ah, uh, you can't do anything. So those five older brothers, they said, we'll do it. And they got out on the canoe. And they sailed away from Lukonwur, and They sailed over to Jeliquan. And as they got close to Jeliquan, they're like, ooh-hoo, let's go eat the breadfruit. And the demon dog, he heard them coming. You ready? <laughs> and those boys turned around and sailed right back home. <laughs> and when they got back home, Mama and Papa, they said, Where's the breadfruit? And they said, Well, there's a demon dog. We didn't bring anything. There's no breadfruit. And Mama and Papa, were like, Uh huh. And they had to go bed that night without the breadfruit. And in the morning they woke up, oh, who can bring us the breadfruit? And the youngest son, he said, "Ooh, ooh, me, me, ooh, me. And the old brothers, they said, ah, shut up. What can you do? You're nothing, you're just half a boy. And their parents said, yeah, what can you do? You went over to the island, you didn't bring us anything. You go back to the island, you take your younger brother. Oh. So they went, those six boys. They got in the canoe, and they sailed on over to that island of and As they got close to the island, the older brother said, "Now listen here, little boy," but the younger brother didn't listen at all. He just scooped up the basket and went hopping. Oh, wrong arm! He went hopping. I'm <laughs> to the island, and the boys they shout out, "Now wait!" And the demon dog came a running. <laughs> the dog went right to those brothers in the canoe, because you see, the dog couldn't see the half a boy, because he was only half a boy. (laughs) And so the dog sat there and yelled at the boys in the canoe. And the half brother, that half boy, he was picking (laughs) that breadfruit. And he filled up the basket. And he came hopping back. Come on, brothers, let's sail. And he jumped in the canoe. And the brothers turned the canoe around. And they sailed on back home. when they got close to home, That half a boy was ready to jump out of the canoe, but the older brother pulled him back and said, No, I'm taking the breadfruit. And he picked it up and he said, Mama, Papa, look what I brought you. And Mama and Papa were so very happy. They grabbed that breadfruit, they chopped it up, and they cooked it, they baked it, they boiled it, they fried it, and they sat down and they ate that breadfruit. And they were feeling so good. And they went to sleep. But they had eaten up all the breadfruit. And so in the morning, Mama and Papa, Said, "Oh, who can bring us the breadfruit? Oh, come, my son, you brought it yesterday. Please go bring us some more." So the six brothers, they got in the canoe and they sailed back off to Jalapuan. And as they got close to that island, the half boy, he started to jump out, but the older brother pulled him back and said, "No, mom and papa asked me to do it. I'm going to get that breadfruit." And he picked up the basket and he went running onto the island. And that demon dog came running. He grabbed the older brother and ripped him into shreds. And the four other brothers, they saw what was going on. They couldn't believe it. The dog just ripped their brother to shreds. So the four brothers jumped out to go attack that dog. But that dog just came up to all the four brothers. And ripped every one of them into pieces. And the half a boy... Turned the canoe around, started to sail away. I don't know how he did it with one arm, but he did. Aww. He went back. And he got back to his home island. He said, Mama, Papa, Mama, Papa, my brothers, the demon dog, they're gone. Oh. And the mom and papa, oh, ho, ho, what about the breadfruit? <laughs> and the half a boy said, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't bring any. Mama, and papa said, oh, where's the breadfruit? So the half boy said, Okay, I'll, I'll go back. And he got in the canoe, and he sailed back to Jellicoe. And he jumped onto the island. Because he was only half a boy, the demon dog couldn't see him. But instead of getting the breadfruit, he just broke off a piece. And he sailed back to his island. And when he got home, they planted that piece of breadfruit. And it grew up. And they started to plant it all over this atoll, this atoll called Mile. And they say, the best tasting breadfruit comes from that atoll of Mile. Now, I went to that atoll because a man named Mejin told me this story. But I got to tell you, I don't know if it's the best tasting breadfruit in the world because I don't like breadfruit. <laughs> so, if you want to know if this story is true, you got to go there yourself. <laughs>
3: Half Boy Breadfruit, a story told for you by Dan Kalin. And uh, it's been such a pleasure to bring these stories to you. You know, we started today with a story from Big Joe Pagliuca, a version of the story of King Midas and the Golden Touch. And we thought we'd wrap up with a story from Big Joe, too. This is from a collection of stories called Spooky Uki, and it tells the story of two mouse brothers who have a great time playing around together in the basement. Well, one day the temptation to approach the forbidden and dangerous door out of the basement becomes too great. What will the brothers find? You're going to find out in The Door at the Top of the Stairs, a story told for you by Big Joe Pagliuca here on The Appleseed. This is the
0: story called The Door at the Top of the Stairs. Once upon a time, there were two mice named Henry and James. And Henry and James lived in a mouse hole in the basement of a very big human house. And Henry and James had a lot of fun together. They would play with the basement toys. They would climb up the basement furniture, and they would run across the basement floor. But there was one place they could never go, and that was the door at the top of the stairs. Their mother and father told them never, ever go near the door at the top of the stairs. Well, one day, Henry and James were playing ball, and they were rolling their ball back and forth and back and forth, when the ball took a very bad bounce. And the ball rolled and rolled right to the bottom step. And when they went to get the ball, they looked up and up and up, and there was the door at the top of the stairs. And Henry looked at James, and he said, look, there's the door at the top of the stairs, And James said, oh, I don't like that door. I don't like that door at all. And Henry said, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. And James said, yes, there is. Mom and Dad said that there's a monster on the other side of that door. And Henry said, oh, don't be afraid. There's no such thing as monsters. He said, yes, there is. Let's go home, let's go home. He said, no, you know what? I think we should go and see what's up there. And James said, oh, I don't think that we should and Henry said what's the matter are you chicken he said I'm not a chicken I'm a mouse he said no you know what I mean are you scared he said yeah I'm scared I don't want to go up there and Henry said well suit yourself I'm gonna go well James didn't want to be left alone so he followed his brother and they went up one step Then they went up two steps. Then they went up three steps. And then they went up four steps. And when they got to step number four, the boards creaked under their paws. And James said, oh, Henry, I'm scared. Let's go home, let's go home. He said, no, come on, it'll be fine. And so they went up step number five, step number six, step number seven, step number eight, And when they got to step number eight, it was very dark and dusty. And James got some dust up his nose, and he sneezed. (gasps) And he almost fell right off the steps. And Henry said, be careful. And James said, okay. And so they went up step number 9, step number 10, step number 11, step number 12, unlucky step number 13, and every step they took got them closer and closer to the door at the top of the stairs. And James said, oh, Henry, what if it's a bad monster? What if it's a mean monster? What if it's a scary monster? And Henry said, oh, come on, there's no such thing as monsters. And so they went up step number 14, step number 15, step number 16, until there was one step left, and they went up the very last step, and they stood right in front of the door at the top of the stairs, and the door was big and gray and cracked, and there was a beam of yellow light coming from under the door, and Henry said, I wonder what's over there, and James said, I already know, it's the monster and Henry said no come on let's go and see and James said I don't think that we should and Henry said well I'm going to see and he went over and James didn't want to be left alone out there and so he followed his brother and they wiggled and wriggled underneath the door and came up on the other side and when they got there that's when they saw it it was beautiful it was beautiful There were rugs on the floor, paintings on the wall, a big chandelier on the ceiling. And Henry said to James, see, I told you, there's nothing to be afraid of. And then they turned around. And when they turned around, there behind them stood the monster. And the monster looked at Henry and James. And the monster said one word. Meow. And Henry and James screamed, and they wiggled and wriggled underneath the door and ran all the way down the stairs, and they went back to the house, and they locked the door tight. And from that day on, they went on many adventures, but they never went near the door at the top of the stairs ever again. And that is the end
3: the door at the top of the stairs, told for you by Big Joe Pagliuca. It's been a pleasure for me to be with you today. And, uh, of course, our producer is Jeff Simpson. And I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. (laughs) Hi, Sam here. Just one more thing before we go. We want to invite you to join BYU Radio, the folks who bring you the apple seed, for a month of service Uh, from September 20th to October 16th. We're asking our listeners to collectively complete. Ten thousand acts of service. You don't have to do that alone. You get listeners all over the country who will help. But participating is easy. Number one, just get out and serve. Do anything. We're not going to tell you what to do. You can do anything you like. You can take cookies to a neighbor. You can pick up trash at a local park. You can mow somebody's lawn. Anything. And we want you to tell us about what you do. You can visit BYUradio.org/service to shoot us a message about the service projects you're in involved in during that time. And we might even choose your story to feature on the air. You can tune in to BYU Radio to hear what others are doing. Now, the slogan for this campaign is Bring It! And that means a couple of things. First of all, when somebody challenges us to 10,000 acts of service, well, we look around at the good company that we have all over the country, listeners to BYU Radio, and we say bring it. And, of course, bring it also means bring whatever you have, your enthusiasm, your interests, your talents, your hunger for change, your cans of food, whatever you've got that you can bring. There's a service opportunity that will surely be right for you. So come and make yourself a part of something big and wonderful as we serve together. Visit byuradio.org service to learn more. Thanks.